0: Hey there, welcome to the What Connects his Podcast, where we explore human connection with people from Saskatchewan. Today we're chatting with Brock Weston to hear his story about accepting his sexuality and how coming out to his college hockey team helped him defuse homophobia in the locker room. Let's get it started. Hey, happy Pride Month, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the What Connects Us Podcast. My name is Mason Gardner, and today I have the absolute pleasure of sharing a story with you that draws a lot of parallels to my own. We're chatting with the pride of Maidstone Saskatchewan, Brock Weston, someone who I hadn't met until this interview, but I've known about for a couple of years. A couple of months into the pandemic, I was scrolling through social media and a couple of my friends had shared an article published by Outsports. Before I even had the chance to read it, I was also getting text messages from people with this story attached saying, This kid is from Saskatchewan, you have to read this. The article was titled, This gay hockey player was sick of hearing slurs from his team, so he came out to them with this speech. I'm not going to spoil too much of the story because you'll hear an in-depth retelling from Brock himself in a minute here, but once you hear it, you will not be surprised that this story went viral. All I'll say is when I read the article, it stuck with me. As a gay man myself, we're not used to seeing gay and hockey player beside themselves. In fact, me loving sports and even working in sports marketing in the past, it busts a lot of stereotypes because sport culture and locker room settings, it hasn't really been too kind to the rainbow community. I've even quit playing sports I've loved because the language and the culture in the locker room was just too much to bear. And this is unfortunately a shared experience by a lot of people in the queer community. Brock is gonna share his story and how growing up in a small town and how playing hockey It shaped who he is and his journey to identifying, understanding, and eventually accepting his sexuality. And then how and why he shared it with his teammates. Do not jump to assumptions about how anyone reacted because there are a lot of surprises in Brock's story. And a key theme throughout this conversation is how amazing people can be when you give them the chance. Very early on in this interview, I felt like I was talking to someone I've known for a long time. And I think it's because Brock is so humble, likable, and vulnerable while also giving nuggets some insight and perspective that will send chills down your spine. Brock is currently a med student at the University of Saskatchewan, but he's off for the summer and is joining us remotely from his current home in Calgary. Let's drop the puck and get the conversation started. What connects us to Brock? Let's find out. Brock Weston, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Before we started, I started talking to you about, like, we have almost... The same stories almost mirrored on different sides of the province. So this is going to be a great discussion. Speaking of the province, you're currently living in Calgary at the moment. Um, big Oilers fan. Yeah. What was I guess. that like during the Battle of Alberta?
1: Oh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, got to go to games uh,
0: one and two in Calgary.
1: So it was it was a tough tough game one, uh, but game two was a little more fun. I got to got to quiet some Calgary fans.
0: What a roller coaster. Um, yeah. did you brave wearing your jersey out too? I did. I actually have
1: a, like a custom jersey my grandma made, her uh, oh, really? brother and I, and it's like half Oilers and then half Rough Riders.
0: Oh, nice. Um,
1: so I had a lot of enemies there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So let's jump into the conversation. So let's get started with a really quick introduction. Tell me who is Brock Weston. Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story.
1: Um... Just a small town Sask guy. Grew up in Maidstone. Lived there till I was like 16, and then I started moving away every winter or like fall for hockey and um, school and whatnot. Lived in North Battleford, and then grade 12 moved to Calgary, moved back to Maidstone to graduate there. Uh, played junior in the Alberta League, Saskatchewan League, and then Manitoba, and then from there got recruited to Wisconsin to play Division three. Finished my undergrad there and had a good four years. Um, Came back to Calgary, got rejected from med school one year, did my (laughs) master's, uh, master management at Calgary, and then got accepted to med school and just finished my first year a couple weeks ago at uh, USASC.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations. It's funny, like Maidstone is very similar to my small town, Lemberg and um grade 7 to 12 you also grew up in a like a farming gra- background same as me I think the main difference between Maidstone and Lemberg is that you have a subway is that correct <laughs> We, week yeah
1: the people were very happy we, we got our <laughs> first fast food chain it was oh god it was probably 10 years ago now but yeah. I remember it was like a big thing actually be just shy because it wasn't there when I was in high school
0: <laughs> right so is that the only fast food place that Maidstone has
1: yeah, yeah. Um, we always just went to like A&S was the
0: um, like corner store kind of thing. Right. And that
1: was like the the hot spot for everyone.
0: Yeah, we used to like load up in my Pontiac Grand Am and drive to the nearest subway, which is like a half hour away in Melville, just to get like subway cookies just on a random Friday night when we had nothing else to do and just got our driver's license. So I, I totally relate to this excitement that Maidstone would have felt during that time. Yeah, yeah, it was
1: uh, it was an exciting time.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, what was life like growing up, and how did that impact your story?
1: Um, I mean, I was like very fortunate growing up. Um, you know, I had really great parents. I learned the value of kind of like hard work and a dollar kind of thing. Um, grandparents and my parents like kind of ran the farm together. We had a lot of grain land. I think just shy of like four thousand or four thousand or eight thousand. I can't remember acres grain land and then uh like 200 cattle head of cattle um about 100 purebred charlotte wow um so from a young age like I was always like kind of work on the farm and you know i have two older siblings and we we were uh (laughs) we were free labor for a while for sure um but you know we had a lot of fun and and you know i was obviously very fortunate to get to kind of do you know and try kind of whatever i wanted um played a lot of different sports and um, was maybe forced into an instrument but I regret <laughs> not re- regret not continuing that instrument it's uh, it's the one thing I'm like how oh, they, they really had a good idea going there what was um, the
0: instrument that, we're, that we're uh, It was of? piano oh that's a pretty good one yeah it's better than like the yeah or something like that
1: no it was it's a it's one you can find places and just sit down and play but yeah. um, I kind of lost the touch I guess hockey kind of got in the way a little bit with right. practice time but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, had a really good friend group back home, uh, like some people I haven't seen in quite a while, actually, that, you know, missing out on seeing. But yeah, very uh, small town, Sask, like you said, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. So growing up was, uh, yeah, it was it was fun. But obviously, there's some things took uh took a toll.
0: <laughs> For sure. So you mentioned that small town, some things take a toll. Tell me a little bit about what that what you meant by that
1: yeah i mean like looking back it's you're you're kind of conditioned to it right just a lot of the language and and preconceptions and stuff like that of you know queer people and and essentially like people of color as well so it would takes a lot and it took a lot for me uh you know and luckily i was fortunate enough to be able to move away and play sports so i kind of got some more like cultural exposure social exposure um, and you know, you get humbled by that a little bit. It's one of those things that sucks when you're in it, but you know, once you kind of come out the other side or you know, in the process of, you know, being a learner and all that, um, you can appreciate that people only know what they know, uh, which is like, you know, a, maybe a lame excuse, but also kind of true. Um yeah. so being able to kind of see the other side of that, uh, you know, literally around the world. Um, has like, you know, given me a sense of a, or like a, an appreciation for back home and also like a hope that, you know, everyone is kind of like innately good. It's just, they know what they know.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, I've, I feel the same way. It's, some people's frame of reference i would say is just a little bit smaller when they're not getting out of that small town and so as society kind of it becomes more normalized eventually it makes its way there but it does take a little bit like i mean dial-up internet took us like seven years after the fact that we had like high speed in in the city so makes sense right (laughs) Yeah, I can remember the the tone on the phone when you pick up and someone's on there. Oh, the worst. The worst yeah. is when you're you're trying to download something on LimeWire, like you're trying to download like something and it's taking you three hours and your parents are like, I got a phone grandma though. And you're like, no, I need this. It's almost done. Just wait. It's almost done. Just give me a couple more seconds. Yeah. Um, so uh, shortly after your high school graduation, you had a classmate that actually came out. How did that impact you?
1: Um at the time it was like it was one of those things that it was like whoa really like I never really thought and you know um it was funny because my dad actually um <laughs> big facebook guy still is um <laughs> at the time so my friend posted it on facebook or somebody said something on facebook um and he asked me he's like uh, did you see this person's post And I was like, Oh no, I hadn't. And he's like, well, why don't you go take a look? And so I did. And you know, essentially like a coming out kind of thing. And I was like, Oh, and like, cool. And he's like, he asked me, he's like, so what do you think of that? And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't really change anything. He's still him, you know, like, and I just called him by his nickname kind of thing. And, and then we had like a conversation, um, my dad and I mostly, and then my mom was kind of jumped in. I think she, I don't even know if she was there at the time, but we talked about it later. Um, I just remember him saying like it's it's really like kind of cool that uh you know that doesn't really change anything for you um because he's like i can remember back in the day like essentially no one would ever do this and if they did they'd be ostracized like and so it was kind of cool to like that he was able to like recognize that and was like willing to talk about it with me um i think that you know in the near future for myself like kind of provided some back of mind comfort, um, you know, when I decided to come out. So, Mm -hmm.
0: so did he have that conversation with like the rest of your siblings or was it just you?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I know, I doubt it was with my other siblings. They weren't, they were quite a bit older. Like my brother's five and a half years, six sisters, eight years older. Oh, okay. Um, so they were long gone, uh, like from the house kind of thing. Um, (laughs) so they were gone. I think both of them had their own kids by then. Um, and it wasn't really like a, a topic I know, like I talked about it with both my siblings and yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see like the, the openness, I guess that they'd already developed as well.
0: Yeah. And what year was this? Would this have been a uh,
1: Well, I graduated in 13, so I'm pretty sure it was like the summer following. So not long after.
0: That's pretty like 2014-ish. Like that's a pretty progressive conversation, I would say that you would expect. Some which which is a really really cool.
1: Yeah, especially like you said, like small town. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh yeah. How did your small town react to this? Um, pretty
1: good from my understanding. It's hard for me to know what his experience was like. Um, but I know I know that there was some people that, you know, essentially like kind of maybe, like, removed him as a friend, I would say. But I don't know right. that anyone local was, like, very harsh about it. Yeah. Um, which I mean, you know, obviously, is great. But I think there was still some maybe pushback. And, you know, he kind of did, like, pave the way for the, yeah. for, for myself. And there's, True. you know, quite yeah. a few people after. So Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. we talk about how representation and the importance of representation. And just to see, like, you spent 16 years there where you're exposed to this language and then you, it's how, how awesome was that for you to be able to have someone there to kind of, like you said, pave the way just so that you can, you can almost like fantasize all you want that if I do come out, everybody will be cool with it. I I know them, these are great people, but you just never know for sure. At least for me, that's kind of how it was because I didn't have anything like that. So that's pretty awesome that you had that to kind of, kind of like walk the footsteps before you even had to.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, It was like a big thing obviously for him and then in the future for myself and you know for the whole area yeah um but i know his parents were supportive and everything so i think you know that really helped
0: for sure so when that happened like that would have been like right after high school had you like had your we we coined it like the egg crack moment of starting to put together some pieces around your sexuality had you started to do that yet or did that come later
1: not really like I hadn't had like that uh, maybe kind of thing. I just was like never really interested. I wasn't a very like um, like sexual person, right? Um, like in the like physical sense uh, until you know later on. I just I had a drive. I like am extremely competitive. Yeah. Um. You know, and I had I had kind of had a goal in mind, and in my own head, I guess maybe it was a way of me avoiding like the realization. But I just I had a goal in mind and that was going to get in the way, right. um, especially knowing some of, you know, how my high school friends, their relationships went and the time they lost, like not lost, but um, <laughs> yeah. maybe spent uh, that could have been better spent. Right. Um, I think I think that was maybe like an avoidance mechanism for me. But I mean, it ultimately went fine <laughs> on the own path.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because that's I think us gays, we that's like one of the first questions people ask. Like, so when did you know? And I I I think when I first came out I was so ignorant that other people didn't know when everybody else knew. Like I think I knew in grade like four or grade five. But it's true, like I'm learning more about like these egg crack moments and so many people have a like later in life, which is very interesting. And that makes sense. Like you're like, I am making the NHL and nothing is going to get in the way of that.
1: Oh yeah! Too bad. Too many things did no,
0: <laughs> for sure. So um, let's talk about your quest to the NHL. Tell me about how you got started playing hockey. Give me a glimpse into your hockey career prior to playing in hockey, playing hockey in Portage the Prairie.
1: Um, yeah. So I like essentially, I think like all Canadian Saskatchewan, born with skates on kind of thing. Um, right. I can remember like and loving it from when I was little. Um, you know, I think the first time I skated, I was like four, um, my brother was already playing, my sister had played ringette, my dad played, you know, like senior hockey all through most of his life. So, um, it was kind of in the family, I guess. And, um, you know, I liked playing with my brother and we would, uh, (laughs) we, we used to play a lot of like road hockey, but we didn't have anything to play road hockey on. So it was always in the shop. and. I can remember breaking a lot of the shop door windows and right. now, now they have like a steel expanded metal over them, <laughs> um, a permanent avoidance of that. But sure. um, yeah, I used to play with my brother and sister all the time. We'd clear off the dugout and and then, you know, growing up playing minor hockey in Maidstone, um, it was a lot of fun. You know, you get to play with your friends and, and, you know, their parents are coaching. My dad was coach here and there. He would help out and and I think around like Pee Wee was the first time that uh, my parents ever like took me to try for um, like a double A team or anything like that. Yep. Um, and then I actually I found out like a few years ago that I actually made the team, but they they told the coach that I wasn't going to play um, because we had a provincial team that year that was supposed to be really good. We ended up winning the North and losing in the final. Oh no. But <laughs> I would have made the double A team. But so did they tell dad, you that
0: you, you got cut?
1: No, well, uh, yeah, like essentially they were like, Yeah, thanks for coming. But apparently my parents had talked to them beforehand, um, yeah. which is like kind of warped, uh, but maybe like yeah. humbling, I guess. I don't know, to know that I wasn't good enough and I worked harder. I don't know what it was, True. but yeah, at least um, give you a
0: taste of what a trial looks like, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the exposure of some new kids that are better than me you know yeah, um yeah. and i was always kind of a and it was the same through midget i was always kind of a bubble guy i just i was decent and i was pretty consistent but i wasn't great and i kind of had to work pretty hard um and you know i was never a big points guy until until my third year midget when i moved to calgary um to play AAA here and then i went to like a I went to a high school in Calgary that had like a sport program that was essentially Mm -hmm. like a a class that I could take. Um, So that was kind of fun. And I got to live with my aunt here and it was kind of my first love of Calgary when I moved here. So I think it brought me back, but, and then played junior my first year as an 18 year old in Lloyd, Um, same thing, bubble guy in and out of the lineup, like almost didn't make the team. And then, you know, by the end of the year, kind of, it kind of went the same for most of my career, like as the year went on, I got better and better with the pace and with the size of the guys. Like yep. I wasn't a very strong 18 year old and you're playing against 20, 21 year old, yep. you know, kind of like some guys are men at that point. <laughs> um, so that was tough, but it was a good adjustment. And then in Lloyd, they found out they got RBC cup for my, what would have been my 20 year old year. Yeah. Um, and they dished like nine of us in like three days or something. So Sure. I was one of those to North Battleford and, um, I didn't have a great experience in North Battleford hockey wise that year. I did oh, okay. image it for, well, for the most part. Um, and I, I got injured. I tore like the ACL, MCL, my other MCL and my medial meniscus. So I was out oh, for God. like 13 weeks. Yeah, yeah. And it was tough. It was tough to <laughs> drag out the winter months on a, you know, in the basement of <laughs> my billets place and not being able yeah. to play. So how did
0: that uh, happen in one play? Like a bad hit or what happened there?
1: Yeah, it wasn't even a bad hit, actually. It was one of my friends that I grew up playing baseball with. Um oh. he was on a different team and I like hit him against the boards <clears throat> and then he like pushed back and essentially oh. like my like skate slid out and he like fell back into my lap. Oh almost, no yeah. and my knees like kind of went forward. So yeah. Um there's a pretty cool video of it, but <laughs> I'll save you the video. Sure. Yeah. Um and then yeah, I asked for a trade out of there right before spring camp because I, I wasn't going to go back I'd applied to U of S and I essentially like quit hockey sure um and then the coach called me uh I was actually on my way to Craven
0: nice um, with my <laughs> cousin
1: uh on my way to Craven to party it up so um called me told me I'd been traded and I said see ya yeah. <laughs> just like yeah I didn't have a great relationship with that coach and then um, I kind of decided I wasn't going to go, but I didn't want to just bail. So I told them that they could trade me and get something for me, but I didn't know if I was like, going to play again.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then the coach from Portageville Prairie, uh, Blake Spiller, he called me and I told him straight up, I was like, I'm on my way to a country music festival and I'm, I am not in any states to talk about this right now. And yeah. he's like, sounds good. Call me Tuesday. I was like... Okay, your he, twisted tease. Yeah, Yeah. he gets it. I was like, he gets it. So anyway, I talked to my parents and my dad had like a, a pretty good perspective on it. He said like, yeah, you didn't have a great year last year. And yeah, you don't, you know, you didn't love it, but you can only, you can't go back. You can't go back and do this again. So go and try it. And if you don't like it, you can come home. Like, um, you know, school's never leaving. You can always go back. So, um, I was glad that I got that advice from my parents, and and I loved it. I had a really good billet. Um, The team was awesome. Good coach. Great facility. Mm -hmm. Loved the town. Met a lot of like lifelong friends there. Um, Won the won the province. Got to go to Western Canada Cup, and so yeah, it was uh, it was a fun ride through junior. And then when I was in Portage as a twenty year old, you're getting. You know info from division one schools division three schools and yeah some canadian schools not as much they look more at the whl and that sort of stuff but sure um that was kind of when the recruitment started for me and um it was actually a coach for marion it was assistant coach he came and watched me like two or three times and was really interested and um and he got me he flew me down to see the campus, and, everything. And then I was actually going to go the next day to, um, Concordia, Wisconsin, which is like North of Milwaukee. Okay. Um, and I visited Marion the day before and I loved it. And I called Concordia and I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm not coming tomorrow. <laughs>
0: yeah, They got my heart already. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, awesome. and Marion's was... in, in, in Fond du Lac, Fond du Lac. Oh, we have one in Saskatchewan. I don't know how I can pronounce his name. Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, we yeah. just call it we just called it Fondy.
0: Sure, that that's a lot easier for me. Thank you. So, what was that like to move across the border and play university puck? Um, it was awesome.
1: It was tough at the start, right? You're, excuse me, so far from home, so far from anyone you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, luckily, our team was like fifty percent Canadians, mm-hmm. um, so they had a lot of advice and, excuse me, knew similar people. Um, but it was nice because like Fond du Lac is it was like a small town Wisconsin which is like a yeah. farming state and you know lots of agriculture and it was yeah. like yeah we had a Walmart and a Target and all that but it was yeah. like kind of small town vibes Um, so it was a lot like home which was nice and yeah. what I really appreciated about Marion was like the really small campus so like my biggest class was only like 35 kids or something for an undergrad degree is yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so it was tough. And like, you know, you adjusting to, I remember one time, like the credit cards, like I had a credit card and I went to pay at Buffalo wild wings with my roommate. and <laughs> We both did it just like, yeah, you sent them the card or whatever. And then they come back and you fill in your tip and write it and sign yeah. it. Yeah. Well, we just signed it and left. Cause we forgot oh, that you yeah. have to like tip or whatever. Yeah. Well, we went back like a couple weeks later and the server like saw us and it was her table and she switched because we didn't yeah, tip her. Was
0: like, no. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we totally knew who she was because like, she was also a server at one of the other establishments that we frequented. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> she's like, these Canadians are killing me right now.
1: Yeah. So we tipped her that day extra and said, sorry for the last time.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I, I worked in marketing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for five years, and we a lot of what we did, this might be like a spoiler alert, really like focused on what the Packers do, because yeah. they, their market is pretty much mirrored to Saskatchewan in a lot of ways, like farming background, all that sort of stuff. So it makes sense that the culture felt a little bit familiar for you, at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even I know lots of like Sask people like Packers fans. And it's funny, like when I went to a couple of Packer games, I saw Rider jerseys there. You always Um, do. Yeah. So it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. That's the that's the fun game to play. Whenever you're watching any sporting event like WrestleMania, like a boxing event or something, there's always one Rider jersey in the crowd. You have to pick it out. Okay, I know we're just getting started with Brock's story, but let's pause for a quick tip for anyone thinking of heading across the border to study abroad, because as Brock mentioned, it can be intimidating. One of our financial advisors, Christina Berger, who works out of our West Landing branch in Regina, has some tips to make sure your transition is as seamless as possible. Take it away, Christina.
2: You know, studying abroad can be very exciting, but you want to ensure you're financially prepared before you take those next steps with your education. A recommendation I have is to do some prior research on the cost of living in the country or the place that you'll be studying and create a budget that suits your specific needs while also making sure you have a little extra funds for backup. Emergencies can happen everywhere you go. So while traveling, it's important to have a plan in place if you need funds on short notice. An example would be having a backup card or a separate savings account for this purpose. Be cautious on when you're carrying a lot of cash on you. At the same time, be aware of where you are using your debit and credit card. Using your debit card at foreign ATM can lead to some higher fees if a suspicious transaction goes through your account please contact us as soon as possible also before you plan on studying abroad call your financial advisor they can assist you with making a budget as well as being a point of contact if you need something while overseas
0: thanks Christina those are some solid tips we have not even scratched the surface on Brock's story so let's get back to it Let's talk about what this looked like from your sexuality when you moved to Marion. Had you started to put together some pieces, or when did you first start to have those kind of like, oh, I'm kind of, kind of feeling a little bit different than what I think your, your heteronormative narrative looks like?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting because um, I like maybe in my head had kind of like thought about it, mm-hmm. but obviously like on the outside I was no no bueno like yeah <laughs> didn't show it you know yeah. i was a masculine kind of hockey bro so yeah. um and i hadn't explored any of it really and i never i never had a drive to at that point mm-hmm. um probably wasn't until like end of first year beginning of second year that i was really like yep yeah, uh something definitely different and yeah. pretty confident what it is and <laughs> like you know you kind of <laughs> go through the the waves of no can't be like that yeah. whole roller was coaster like,
0: was it terrifying like what do you remember feeling like how you felt during those moments yeah
1: it's it's like there's like a fear and like a self-distaste um there's a like an almost like a confusion because you're like mm-hmm. no definitely like i can't be kind of thing and yeah and all the language you grew up hearing comes to your head, and you're just like, "No, I can't be a," yeah, you know, like, so it's yeah. it's it was tough. Like when you start to realize, you're like, uh, "I don't know if I can really change this." <laughs> like
0: totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it felt like my like thumb was like hovering over like like a bomb that could go off at any moment. Like, like I put together the pieces being like, Oh my gosh, I know exactly what people in around here say about people like me. Like I can't let them know. And you just kind of bury it with like scar tissue and do whatever you can in order to like make sure that nobody can see that side of yourself. So help me paint a picture of what that's like to kind of hold on to that secret. Like you, you are, you have that realization a little bit, but now you're starting to like realize like, okay, this is me. Tell me what that kind of the toll that takes on you.
1: Oh, it's a lot. Like you you essentially like, well, I did, I essentially like isolated myself to a degree and it's part of being 22 hours from home. So you're already separating yourself from friends just by distance. Right. Yep. Um, And then your friends are making at school. You're not sure that you're not sure how they're going to react, especially being, like you said, Wisconsin, Saskatchewan, same kind of culture, farming, that sort of very conservative. um, Language is essentially very similar. Um, So it's like, can I tell these people, you know, how are they going to be the same? Right. Um, So it's, yeah, it was isolating, um, constantly running through your mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the questions, the worry, the hate, the disappointment, essentially, and the like, yeah. yeah, it's like, what ifs, you know, all the time. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, on top of that, you're playing NCAA hockey and you're <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: like running for student senate president and things like yeah. that. Like, you, you know, you're trying to stay engaged. And I think that was maybe part of what kept my mind off of it was I was very busy. I was very engaged. I was always doing something with friends or with classmates or with the school or with mm-hmm. the team. I think that's kind of what I did I kind of tried to isolate myself and and but by isolating myself putting myself out there as like a different person to a degree totally
0: yeah Yeah. no I did the exact same thing you stay busy that way you have almost like built-in excuses so if somebody says like well why don't you have a girlfriend Mason you're just like oh I've got this on the go I got this on the go like and then it makes it a little bit more your story a little bit more believable in that sense yeah, exactly. So tell me when you started, like what that gap looks like between you're feeling these feelings, you're starting to confirm what you're believing, um, and then when did you first come out? What did that look like? Do you mind sharing that?
1: Yeah, I, I to be honest, like I was thinking about it before we uh, met, and I am not confident on who the actual first person I told was. Really interesting. Yeah, and I think at that point I maybe and like i remember telling my parents like i didn't know for sure even when i told them that i was like gay so cool. i like you know the the midway point used the bisexual coming out so yeah so i know some people at school knew and then i know a couple friends at home i told yeah. um and like one of my friends uh, like she's getting married this december we she knew like quite a bit before other people we actually like um while we were on a road trip to houseboating together for july long weekend nice Um, swaps yeah i was like swiping on tinder and she could see it in the backseat my cousin was driving and she's like uh she's like giving me like thumbs up or down on
0: on oh that's awesome yeah so like i had her through all that and um I did yeah. the same thing, but I would sit in the back seat so that nobody could see. Like I was that paranoid that somebody would see.
1: Oh, I for sure did. If it wasn't just the 3 of us, I would have only done it in the back, but um <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it between um like it was I'm not really sure yeah who the first person I told was. Um but I remember it kind of like coming to fruition just with, you know, close friends at school mostly. Some people back home um and then people I'd met along the way, you know, like people that I was really close with in Portage as well. Um yeah. people I was actually really close with in North Battleford as well. Mm-hmm. Um so that that was kind of like the stepping stones, I guess, you know, the the yeah. rip ripping the little band-aids off till you get to the big one, I guess.
0: Yeah, for sure. What's cool about that is that you must have like created this really awesome community of trusted friends for that to be so um what's the word i'm like easy for you to kind of have those conversations right off the bat because for me and i know a lot of people just saying the words out loud is the biggest step off the high dive so that's so cool that you had created that community and curated that that awesome sense of of friend's friendship in order to get that trust out to be able to have those words
1: yeah exactly like it's a lot right to put your trust in someone with your your biggest secret or totally. you know your total identity kind of thing so yeah. um i was very fortunate to have like really good friends along the way um and then you know at the at the later end like really supportive family so yeah um, it
0: truly is you're giving them like the detonator button like going back to that bomb reference that like at any moment could blow up your world at any moment so that's awesome tell me about coming out to your parents you said that you did that pretty early what was that like yeah I was actually
1: I was only home for Christmas break um and we were like I'd kind of like decided I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them when I'm home we were like in the basement watching a movie on the couch and uh the movie ended and I was like my dad was like, oh, okay, I'm going to bed. And I was like, oh, like, just wait. <laughs> like, I was like, well, is this. I think the Oiler game's still on. Like, and it was. So yeah. we turned the Oiler game on and then uh, it ends. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to bed. And I was like, oh, just like, wait. And yeah. then he's like, what? And like, they're both sitting on the couch there. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, I love you guys. Like, I don't, you know, there's something I really want to tell you. Like about me kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. And then. Um, I just like said, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm bisexual. And then it was just like crickets. And I was like,
0: Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah.
1: And then I was like, okay, love you. (laughs) Good night. Oh really?
0: You, you smoke bombed.
1: Oh, well yeah. Sort of. And then they were like, they like said before I went to bed, they're like, we love you too. And so I just went to bed and then the next morning I was supposed to drive to North Battleford to pick up, uh, my grandparents Christmas present for my parents, Okay. Um, so I text my dad at like seven in the morning. I'm like, uh, am I taking your truck or mine? And he's like, we're going to take my truck.
0: Oh, we are. Oh, yeah. wow, cool.
1: And I literally yeah. respond. I'm like, weird question mark Like, <laughs> and he's like, I'll be at the house in 15 minutes. I'm like, oh no. So, oh
0: my gosh. Yeah.
1: So that was, uh, a, a shock to wake up to the morning yeah. after. Uh, but then, you know, we so didn't before we,
0: him. Before we mm. move on, like when you said that you were bisexual to them, like in, was that like your truth at the moment or did you think that like this would be an easier court, kind of portal in order to ease them into homosexuality?
1: No, I think that was kind of my truth at the time. Okay. Um, and so actually the next morning my dad asked me that. So we made it 10 minutes down the road <laughs> and obviously there's an elephant in the truck. I'm um, <laughs> No kidding. And he said, you know, like, so you're bisexual kind of thing. I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, he's like, if, if you are gay, like you can tell us Um, it doesn't, you know, just if you think we're scared of the word kind of thing, like we're not. And yeah, um, we had like a really good conversation, but he essentially said, like, if, are you saying that you're bisexual because you want it to be easier for us? Um, And I was like, no, like. As of right now like that's how i understand myself and i kind of at that point like explain like you know sexuality is on a spectrum and um you know my understanding has changed so maybe it will but right now no Um, awesome so it was interesting that he even kind of brought it up um and i think that maybe made it easier later in the future once i did kind of understand myself even further yeah that it was easier to be like no yeah i you know i understand myself even better now and yeah i am
0: gay Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like, it's so nice that your your parents, like, I wish this was the the norm for a lot of parents. And I think it's getting better, clearly. But, like, way back then, to be able to be emotionally in tuned, to be able to have those conversations with you and and talk it out, to not just help with them in your relationship, but to help with your journey as well.
1: Right. Yeah, it definitely provides comfort as soon as they you know you get the love back and a little yeah. bit of understanding and like obviously there's still questions and things they'll never understand which is totally fine yeah. and normal there's things they can never understand so yeah
0: totally yeah they're like who is Ariana Grande and why are you guys obsessed with them um all right so let's let's kind of go back to hockey and and where these kind of I will say two journeys are colliding um you hear a lot about the, the locker room in hockey. So gl- give us a glimpse for anybody who's never played hockey before the good and the bad side of, of that locker room and what that experience is kind of like.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's different for everyone. Um, there's things in there. It's funny because, um, some of the most ruthless moments happen there, but also some of the closest people that you'll ever be with are in that mm-hmm. room. Um, so it's, it's funny because it's, it's literally a brotherhood, you know, you're a family when you're in there, uh, especially at that level, moving through junior guys are in and out. Most of the, or can be in and out. Um, but once you're in college, like you're reasonably locked down and these are the guys for, for four years, you know, your class, mm-hmm. um, like the language is very, it's essentially just immature, right? There's uh chirps thrown around all the time, you know, it, like, there's banter with the guys between us all, but
0: yeah.
1: you know, you're talking about the other team or, you know, different things like that, or they're talking about their after bar excursions and things like that. So
0: great term. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. uh it can be pretty toxic mm-hmm. uh in a very essentially like queer phobic way. Yeah. But it's also, and, you know, as my story kind of shows, like, it can also be one of the most supportive environments that you can
0: can be in.
1: Yeah. You know, you're with your family, but you're also scared.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you spend so much time with these people, right? And so much of their identity is hockey. So you are spending time with them. You are a part of their identity. And you are going through some of the most like formative moments of their life. So it makes sense why it creates this like tight, tight, tight bond, but then just knowing the hockey culture and things like that, you you can see how that seeps in. Cause that's not just a, something that's exclusive to one locker room. It's, it's pretty widely shared. Yeah. Would you agree with that around hockey around that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the toxic masculinity, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very real thing. Um, And yeah, you spend so much time, like my roommate and I never met before we moved into an apartment together in Mm -hmm. Wisconsin. He's from, you know, like Cornwall, Ontario. I'd never heard of this guy. I didn't know him. I didn't know his family. I didn't know any of his friends. I never played with anyone he'd played with. I knew nothing about him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you spend so much time together and we live together. Like you just, you develop these bonds that, you know, kind of like, you know, the unbreakables, but it's yeah. true. Like even the other guys on the team you don't live with, I spend minimum four hours at the rink with them every day if I'm not yeah. in class with them. And then if we're not doing workouts and if we're not on the bus, you know, for a seven hour road trip to wherever.
0: You go to battle with them, right? Like you go to battle. You're tr- you're truly like us versus them. So you, it creates this like pack. Anybody that has played like a competitive sport can understand, especially from a team side, what that bond feels like.
1: Yeah, exactly, and you know, every night, like somebody runs him over, and I'm like, <laughs> not tonight, man. Like, yeah, yeah he picked the wrong brother. guy yeah. to hit. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're right. Like, yeah. you just you create those those bonds and and that that connection and the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the good and the bad of everyone, you know, yeah. because you spend so much time with them, you hear their stories, you. You see the highs and lows that they go through, and you you do it together, kind of thing. Um, so it can be challenging. Um, yep. But it's also very rewarding. And team, like you said, team sports are some of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life, from mm-hmm. a personal development side, a relational development, and just physical, mental. It you know kept me through it, kind of thing.
0: For sure. So. How does that make you feel when, like, homophobic or non-inclusive language is used, and you're you're hiding that part of yourself and keeping that so cl- so closely held to your chest?
1: Yeah, like it, it, it. I've talked about this before. You know, even just with friends and stuff. It's funny because you you gain so much trust with these people, and your you know your brothers, and you get closer and closer and closer, and and the whole time you're like, okay, you know, they they, they like me for me. They they don't care. If, maybe if we put a label on it, it won't matter. And then they something said. Somebody says that, and it's like back to square zero. Like exactly, or, or maybe yes. like further than zero. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like so, it's it's just one of those like daggers that kind of sends you backwards, like constantly. Yeah. Um, and you know, you build hope, you build hope, and then it's just shattered. And then you build hope, and you build hope, and then it's shattered. And you're like, well, shit. <laughs> like
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah no it's like if anybody is just starting to like if this is the closet door like like their their hand is coming out to like peel the door back a little bit just to kind of peek out and then they hear that language they like run to the back of the closet they're like <laughs> no not coming out this isn't safe yet bolt so it. that's exactly you bolt it shut like you add like a do- like a chair in front of it like it just sets you back right and I think when people there I understand when people say like oh this is just how I'm hardwired I grew up with this language but the impact that non-inclusive language can have on whether that is somebody that's out and it accidentally gets used or someone and this is what people don't really think about there anybody around that table or in that room might not be out yet or maybe struggling with feelings of their own and that just a a careless flip of a word can just send them right back into a battle with themselves and shaming themselves
1: yeah and and it's funny like i've had a a lot of talks with friends and and family about you know different language used and and i've talked about it before in different uh you know interviews or whatever and like language is so important because you might not mean it with you know like ill intent, but it doesn't matter because the language carries so many connotations to so many different people. Um, So if that person feels and hears ill intent, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how you meant it. I mean, it does, but just the word itself or the, you know, the actions themselves kind of, they carry their own, whether you intended it or not. So I think, yeah. you know, language has been like one thing I've been very um, adamant about, you know, with my friends, my family, um, and just kind of strangers. <laughs> I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of come to the point where I'm like, you can't say that <laughs> to strangers. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find when somebody says it, my first instinct is to retreat, but I'm also kind of scanning the room. And I, even before I was out, I was scanning the room to see how others are going to react to that situation. And if somebody laughs, like, haha, like, you're like, oh, there's another one, like, it just kind of multiplies the impact of it. But if somebody steps up, then you're like, that's, that's my guy right there. Like, that's, that's somebody I can trust for life. So any, anybody that's trying to be an ally, like, and hears, like, words like that, like, if you don't step up, even for the people that aren't in the room that are visibly out or living into their authenticity, like, it makes a world of difference and shapes behavior for anybody else that's watching as well.
1: Yeah, and, I I like fully wholeheartedly support you know having those discussions and I think it's important to recognize shaming someone in front of a group for something they said is like the probable worst way to change a behavior so I've kind of come to the point where I'll have conversations with people after or like pull them aside and just be like hey I know I'm confident this isn't really what you meant but you know like there's people here that you know that kind of language might impact more than you realize and you know I could see it on their face or something and then no one wants to intently like in or like purposefully hurt someone by something they said so or that people that I hope I know um so having that conversation instead of belittling them in front of a group is like a way more effective way of of kind of getting to you know change essentially
0: yeah Yeah, you nailed it so Going back to your story. That was a great side discussion there. Um, Tell me a little bit about your relationship with um, with your teammates from your sexuality standpoint. Because like we've talked about, you become so close. They're essentially like a band of brothers. And as we know with our siblings, sometimes we know things about our siblings before they even know it about themselves. So tell me about what that relationship was and how um, it, it started to get complicated based off of sexuality, things like that.
1: Yeah, um, like I said, I, like my roommate and I were incredibly close like, um, and still are, you know, for like a multitude of reasons. And he, I told him, uh, we kind of had a like a heart-to-heart, I guess. I don't know. It was deeper than that yeah. um, one night post-bar. So, um, you know, we shared things about each other, or about ourselves, um, and had pretty tough conversation that night almost, um, each of us. And I told him and it was almost like a year before I told the rest of the team or anyone else kind of there. Um, right. And so he knew and he carried my secret too. Um, and it's something I'll, you know, forever be grateful for. Um, but it's also something that I like to a degree regret because it put him in a position in a very difficult position knowing that. And then I made that worse by having my boyfriend come visit. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, he was my friend at the time. Um, and so people noticed, right? Like we were more than friends, obviously. Um, and so guys started to make comments um, which I mean, I did to myself, but what I didn't like is that they started making the comments towards Lawson mm-hmm. um, to just kind of like poke and prod and see what he knew. And, and maybe he would slip up or something like that. And, and then he started like standing up for me sometimes when they would stay stuff. And I think that maybe affirmed some of the suspicion. And I'm okay with yeah. that because once he started, he, he wore a lot of it. And then he started to tell me that guys are saying things and yeah. I just, I want you to know, because I, you know, I don't know who all they're saying it to and sort of things. And, and I, it, that part really set me off because I just, I found it like wildly immature and disrespectful and like childish yeah. to, to poke at someone that, you know, I live with and, and see what you can get out of them yeah. instead of just coming to me and talking to me like a grownup. Um, right. And so that was kind of one of the sparks. For me to to talk with lawson about it first mm-hmm. um and then talk with my coach and then to ultimately decide to tell the team um yeah. yeah it was tough because i felt a lot of guilt for putting him through that um yeah. and you know we've obviously talked about it and he's like he is like don't apologize like it's not you know it's not your fault kind of thing and and he's right but it's just still something I would never want to put anyone in that sort of position. And I would never want to do it again.
0: For sure. I think when you have like this common goal as a team to like, to get best equipped to, to take on other teams and win and win a championship, all that sort of stuff, little things like this, like it just fractures the trust with all of these different people that you're, that you're going to battle with. So what was that like when it started to come to a head a little bit? So tell me about, the night before you came out to your team where you did some, some damage to your place after an altercation with a teammate?
1: Yeah. Um, it just like it, like it, what was leading up to it was them saying comments to Lawson and then, um, you know, liquid courage kind of set in and I, with a teammate, he made a subtle comment when we were at the bar and I just, I didn't care. I was so mad. I yeah, kind of just teed off and, we were getting a ride home with the same person and and the person driving was like sober and fine. And they, I know I talked to them the next day about it. And they were like very upset that it all happened and that I had in that the way that it happened, I guess. Um sure. Cause his teammate, you know, made a comment and I just kind of snapped and I was like, I know you're, you know, you're, I know you're talking crap behind my back. And I know you've been talking to Lawson about it and it's absolutely bizarre that you're doing this, like grow up and talk to me like a man, like, and I just kind of had like essentially like a screaming match. I screamed at them out front of my apartment building and that was like kind of a full breakdown night. Uh, for yeah. me, it was, uh, that was the head of, of all the trauma and emotional strain that I could handle. And, you know, went inside and threw my phone, punched a hole in the door and,
0: yeah.
1: and, then had a real meltdown in the living room with, and we had three girls that lived above us and, We were really, really close friends with them and still are. Um, And then Lawson came out and, you know, it was one of the girls above and Lawson and they kind of like essentially like held me while I had a breakdown. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the next morning Lawson and I talked and I said, I can't live like this. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the mental strain, the emotional strain, the, it was physical too, excuse me. You know, like, I wasn't eating healthy, I wasn't sleeping well, obviously, so it just mm-hmm. it was getting to the point where I wasn't even close to my best person so yeah. um decided that I needed to tell everyone and if that brought me further out, then I guess it wasn't meant to be, but if hopefully they they could realize that I'm just still myself, and they can kind of shut up about it now that they totally.
0: know. No, that makes sense. I think if people are like, oh, well, why did he um, react so harshly? Like, think of it like a volcano that is being like suppressed like for so much time and not just like a couple of rumors here and there like this is like a lifetime so far of just like paranoia frustration shame all of this just kind of starting to bubble over and when that like eruption happens like I had one too like it just it happens and it's just like a release of all of this emotion that has been multiplied by all of this drama and all of this stuff so it totally makes sense so tell me about what came next um, where you've had this epiphany, I can't live like this anymore, tell me what came next.
1: So Lawson and I talked the next day and, you know, decided I can't and I need to tell people because I, living like closeted with all these rumors is worse than I think Yeah, the real thing. So I kind of wrote a letter uh, to my coach. He and I went to the rink and just met in his office there and I just said like, this is very tough for me. So i might not look you in the eye <laughs> right now because I'm going to read this letter to you. Right. And, and he just said, okay. And I read it out loud. And, and he like gave me a hug after. And, um, he was very good. He's like, I I'm sorry that you kind of had to go through this and that you've been living like this. And he's like, to be honest, you're not the first player that's come out to me, you know, while they're playing oh, or wow. after. Wow. Um, so it was kind of, I guess comforting in a way to know that he'd maybe like dealt with this before. Um, and I explained to him, you know, that I, I want to just because it's so hard to talk about, and there's a lot of things I want people to know, um, when I tell them I'm going to write like a letter, like a speech and read it to the team. And he thought that was a good idea. So I did that. I wrote another one. (laughs) I wrote another letter speech thing. Um, um, he said, I'll be there, but I'm not going to be in the room. He's like, I want, you're an assistant captain right now. Like you're a team leader. He's like, you can call the meeting and you can share what you need to share. And he said, when you're done, you can leave the room, come to my office and I'll go back in and talk with the team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then you can either just leave or you can sit in my office or whatever you want to do. Um, the, the only reason it was a little bit odd is because it was, we were done. We'd lost out that year.
0: Um, oh, okay.
1: Uh, so it was postseason. Uh, and what I didn't do is I only invited the returners. Um, so sure. I didn't invite the seniors that year, um, yeah. because they were leaving and I didn't feel like it was something they needed to be involved
0: in. Sure. And how soon after was this, like after your altercation with your, with your other teammate
1: just off like quick memory, it was within a week or so.
0: Okay. So pretty soon after.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it was probably by the end of the following week. So we were, you know, a weekend altercation and then I think during that right. week, um, but yeah, and then called the meeting, and Lawson and I drove separate because in case I just wanted to leave. And then yeah, called the oh, meeting. Oh, that
0: sucks. I like, just want to pause there that like you had to take separate vehicles just in case the news didn't come out the way you wanted it to, and it wasn't received well. You needed to take a separate vehicle so you could leave before. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. It was just Sorry, a preparation
1: go. thing, I think, and and I think partly for Lawson too, just so he didn't have to like worry about where I was or anything, you know, he he knew I could just go home.
0: No, it makes sense from a preparation side. (laughs) But the problem is, is that it makes sense from a preparation side that you like had to do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No. And now, yeah. And so I got in front of the room and opened my little letter and (laughs) read the, read the speech to the team. And I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I know it was like one of the very first opening lines. Like I just said, you know, I, um, I love you guys and I love this sport kind of thing. And, you know, we're family and I trust you guys and I just have to tell you something. And I just said, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like bawling by then. I'm just like, <laughs> kind of broke down, but I like stuttered it out and, and then gathered myself and carried on. And there was a couple points where I kind of, you know, you have a little voice break or you need a second to gather yourself, but uh, it went really well. And then, I just said at the end, you know, like I'm going to go uh, like, I'm going to go get Gainer. He wants to talk to you guys. So, um, so I left the room and as I was walking out, you know, one of the guys, he just stopped, he stood up and like, stopped me. He's like, he's like, we love you Brock. Like, it doesn't matter to us. Like it doesn't change anything. And then we had like a big team hug, like literally everyone got up and we just had a big group hug. So it was, it was really cool. Um Yeah. And, and a guy that, the guy that spoke up it wasn't to be honest it was very unexpected that it was him
0: right. um like he's somebody that used non-inclusive language and yeah that culture yeah. yeah
1: and i think i think that was an eye-opener for him and he was very good
0: moving forward from that point so yeah yeah oh, that's powerful that's a powerful story right there <laughs> um what was that like like seconds before like did you have that like fight or flight response Be like you're, well, you're, you can either do this now or it's never happening. What was that like for you? Um, partly I was like shaking and like kind
1: of already like almost emotional, but I was like holding it together. Yeah, no, I, I knew I had to, and I, I knew I couldn't, you know, live like that. Um, and I was ready because I knew, I knew I had Lawson and I knew I had other friends and my family knew at that point. So, it kind of was like a will hockey keep me kind of thing i think when i when you know i got the response that i got i knew that okay it's it's still for me
0: oh i will hockey keep me is just like a haunting sentence but i'm happy that it worked out for you um yeah. and i think we're getting there hockey's kind of trailing behind a little bit but we're, we're on our way there but how awesome was it that you had lawson in the room with you during that moment did you use him as a as a source of strength throughout that speech
1: yeah hugely like i just remember like <laughs> trying to avoid eye contact with him because i knew it would just break me but also yeah. like keeping him keeping him in sight you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah so yeah no he was and he was, like, a little bit emotional, too. Um, and then when we got home, like, it was it was big. Like, he just, he was emotional. And he's, like, I'm just, I'm really, really proud of you. Like, so mm. it meant a lot. It meant a lot to have him there. And it meant a lot to have him, you know, throughout the process. Yeah. And, like, kind of keep me sane, <laughs> literally.
0: Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, those are, like, little angels for us. Like, if yeah. you, you, you can take a look back at, like, how... Like you and I are lucky enough to say that like we've been able to say we're out and then you can kind of go back and pinpoint in like reflection be like, if it wasn't for this person or for this moment, I probably wouldn't be out. So that that's awesome that Lawson's there for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would be a very different experience anyway, but
0: for sure. But yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, I went to the coach's room and, and then he just like, he didn't, he just let me have my minute there and he left and went to the room and, um, he came back after i decided to wait i didn't go home um Mm -hmm. and you know as the guys were leaving the room they stopped in the office and gave me a hug and just said we love you kind of thing so lots of guys stopped and did that which was really nice and then gainer came back in and uh we like sat and talked for a few minutes and i just kind of asked like how it went and he said he's like better than my my last few have gone or something like he kind of made a joke oh
0: my gosh which was
1: nice uh like he kind of brought light or made light of a of the tension that he could feel I was carrying, obviously. Um and he just when you say
0: you say Gaynor, Gaynor is the coach, right? We aren't talking about the beloved mascot of the Saskatchewan right? (laughs) No, that's right. Yeah,
1: I should clarify. No. Um yeah, Zach Gaynor. No, he uh so yeah he came back in and I just said how to go kind of thing and he said it went really well. Like um he said they actually stopped me before I could say anything and they just said like you don't have to you don't have to really lecture us. Like it it doesn't change anything for us and it will be better kind of thing. And, um, so that was really cool because, and it was actually another guy that said that to the coach that he was young and like was, had been immature and made a very mature comment and and started acting in a way. So, um, I was impressed by that and thankful.
0: Did you notice a change after what was that like?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, Guys were really trying to commit to it. And obviously, like I said, people only know what they know and habits are ingrained and, and they did their best. And I think there was only like one slip that year towards the end of the year uh, with the language thing. And, and it's funny, I've, I've talked about it before. <laughs> Guys always get really curious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got a lot of questions um, <laughs> that they would never admit that they want to ask any gay uh-huh. guy until they know yeah. a gay guy. Yeah. Um, so I started, you know, once the liquid courage for them started to set in, then you get the funny questions and, yeah, and the like comments of support and, you know, I have family members, I have a sister, I have a, whatever, you know, that's queer. And, um, and then just being able to explain your side to them too, you know, like this, this part sucked or, you know, when this happened, it kind of sucked. Like, if you think about that from my side now that they understand, they're like, oh yeah, I can see it. I can totally, totally. see it. So,
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah, definite change. And it actually, it it carried on to the next year because I was only in third year at this point. That was also scary because <laughs> yeah. there's oh, a yeah. whole new crop of freshmen coming in. You don't know who oh, they're yeah. going to be and what they're going to be like. So
0: totally. Did you have to address that with them first right off the bat or how did that work?
1: Um, I actually talked with like the captains. Well, like Lawson ended up being a co-captain that the next year. Um, mhm deservingly so and talked to them before and i said like should i do an address or anything and he's like no chris and i talked about it he's like we're gonna have we'll talk to them but we won't make a, a team thing about it we'll just do it with them individually yeah. um and that was good and we had a few transfers that year actually so they spoke with them as well um and guys you know like right away would like offer support kind of thing like you know like hey they told me all good with me like looking forward to the year
0: For sure. What came next for you? So you talked to your friends and your family. Did you have to like recheck in with your with your parents to give them the update or um, what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I told them before I told the team that I was going to um, and they just kind of, you know, my dad kind of like cautioned. He's like, just, you know, recognize this could be a different hockey scenario. And I said, I've definitely thought about it. um but he said you know i hope it goes well they both were like i hope it goes well and we you know we support you We'll talk to you after kind of thing so Mm -hmm. um yeah once i told the team it kind of got a little bit easier to tell some people i think because i knew like i said like okay hockey wasn't saying no right now um Mm -hmm. so you know living that next year out as a player and was good and i had a rough summer between third and fourth year uh, I lost my okay. lost my brother to suicide. so it mm. was a it was a challenging year to be leaving home and family and everything. Um, but it was it was nice to be away from home with people I knew supported me. Um, yeah. you know that kind of it carries its own its own um, value having that family away from home. so yeah. Um, So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily my best year of hockey, um, Mm -hmm. but it was it was a good year for me to finish my degree and, you know, be student senate president and complete my Mm -hmm. med school applications. Even though I didn't get in, it was it was nice to to get through that whole process and try the interview and and all that sort of thing.
0: So, yeah. Sorry about your brother. I didn't know that that was part of your story. Um, But thank God that you were able to in the year prior cross a bridge that was really tough to cross because dealing with all of that would have just been very, very hard. So I'm thankful that you had that figured out before um, you could grieve. And yeah. and like you said, med school, all that sort of stuff, that that chapter had closed before you had moved on to the next one. So let's talk about real quickly misconceptions that that you face especially since I would say you present a little bit more masculine than your stereotypical gay or what what the media and what people would think is like a classic gay guy so what misconceptions do you do you come across
1: <laughs> um... Yeah, it was like, if you ever told anyone you were gay, they're like, oh, like, you're you're not like really fully gay, like you're bisexual or something. And it's like, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's okay yeah. um, like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people just being like, there, there's no way like you can, you can be gay kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, huh, well, <laughs> sure. Like, if, <laughs> if, that's what, if that's what you decided, then I guess so. A classic one too, you know, like, oh, you know, you got a girlfriend and no, yeah. uh, no, I don't. And then they're like, oh, why not? And I'm like, well, I'm gay. And they're like. Just like the deer in the headlights.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Totally. It's pretty comical sometimes. Um, Yeah. I'm actually, it's one thing I've been discussing with uh, some peers and some like, uh, maybe like mentors now with medical school because it's not something that I like just wander around and like, hey guys, I'm gay. Like everywhere I walk in, you know, like I'm trying to get better about using my pronouns uh, just for inclusivity and. Um yeah. and I actually got my friends for my birthday this year got me uh like we use like a badge reel for our like IDs at at school. Yeah. Yeah. Um and my friends got me this really cute like uh badge reel. It has like the pride trans flag on it and cool. uh my like he him it has like pronouns on it. So Yeah. Um so I've been wearing that to like clinical so it's like an identifier I guess. Um Yeah. And hopefully like if patients see it it's like a like a, I don't know, either like an allyship or like a I'm a supportive yeah. a safe space
0: so totally regardless of whether you are gay or you're not it's just nice to see like the signal of safety for yeah. sure yeah that's awesome yeah so let's talk about out sports and the piece that you wrote for them so tell me about this because um spoiler alert this this article goes a little bit viral it's how I originally came across this story so tell me about out sports and begin and how you began that process to write for them
1: yeah I actually I didn't really know what it was um, and this was this was before I came out and then I saw oh. somebody shared something of like an Olympic athlete coming out or something actually it might have been like Gus Kenworthy or something um, oh. and I remember seeing out sports and I was like oh cool like and then I followed them on Instagram and it was like cool to see all the like uh, coming out stories and the support and allyship and the events and everything. And then when I came out, I waited until I was done. So I finished mm-hmm. hockey in my senior year. And then I saw a story of a couple guys, a couple hockey guys that had come out, uh, different teams, very close together. And I was just like, huh. And I just replied to their Instagram story. And I said, how can I share my story? Yeah. Spoke with them, did uh, like a similar kind of interview and shared my letter with them so they could throw parts of it in there. And Um, yeah, it did kind of go viral. And it was, uh, it was interesting because I didn't expect that, nor did I know that I needed that, I guess, or wanted it. It was, it was actually bizarre. The strangers that would send emails of support and Instagram messages and Mm -hmm. It was amazing. I don't think I ever got like one hate message or email or anything. Oh, Um, really? Awesome. Yeah. Which was bizarre. And I'm (laughs) very thankful I didn't have to read that. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And they were great to work with and still are like, we'll chat here and there about different events and things like that. Yeah. Great, great experience working with them and sharing this story.
0: Awesome. So I've done a little bit of writing and kind of came out in a public way too. And what, I found it was so healing for my soul and I, am I bet it was for you as well is the connection to your small town and how, how proud that they were, I guess, of, of telling your story and that they want to show up better to be an ally. And they did a lot of self-reflection, going back to the start of this conversation, we talked about how their frame of reference, they now know somebody who is like that. Did you have that same sort of reconnection and healing from your small town too of people reaching out after your article went out?
1: Yeah, a little bit. It was funny because, um, you know, I'd been gone for quite a while. Um, people I hadn't talked with in a long time, um, you know, reached out and offered support. And, and when the articles were on Facebook and stuff, just like sheets of of comments from people back home of support yeah And, and like you said like a little bit of pride um and pride in the sense that they weren't proud that I was gay they were proud that you know I'd accomplished the things that I'd done so far enduring that sort of identity crisis I guess um and and you know the the subtle traumas and things like that so um still talking with people back home it's it's uh it's nice to know. And, and you see, I see more queer people, um, being comfortable coming out younger and, and kind of fighting some of those gender, uh, gender identity conforming heteronormativity things. Um, yeah. and I kind of love it. I kinda, I'm like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge, let your freak flag fly. Like I love it. Yeah.
0: Love it. So, and in a, lo- a lot of the conversations that I had with people, they were like, how can I be a better ally? Like, like I, I really want to support you. And even as we have these conversations, you talk about how, um, now that you're out people, I, that's a question I get a lot. What is that something that you get a lot? And how would you, how do you respond to that to be a better ally?
1: Yeah, I got it early on. And now I think people, especially since I've done a few interviews and, and, you know, like you said, the frame of reference has changed now. They know more people, um, and they may be more comfortable asking someone they know. Um, yeah. But for me, whenever I was asked that, and I touched on it earlier, I just said like language, just be really conscious Mm -hmm. of your language. Um, There aren't a lot of actions that you do that directly, that you know, like there's obviously like little things, how you respond to what someone says, or uh, language for me was big um, and still is. And I I push it maybe a little too much on some people, but go watch RuPaul's Drag Race. It's like it was like the it was like the funniest thing for me because they're like yeah, I see it like on Netflix or, or Crave or whatever it's on and and I'm like just go watch it and listen yeah. to some of those stories and then watch those people. Those people yeah. are themselves. Those people are amazing performers, incredibly mm-hmm. talented. Mm-hmm. They only want positive people and they only want to make lift people up and i'm like yeah go go watch that and tell me how (laughs) uncomfortable it makes you and then be like why why does that make me i have nothing to do with them why does that make me uncomfortable and kind of it was like go reflect and then come back to me (laughs) And totally. and you get to watch yeah. some quality entertainment. So
0: yeah. Yeah, it's it's an Emmy winning show. It's a great show. And like I feel like there's a reason why like queer people love it. It's like my Bible too. So it's nice that um you can give them a toolkit to of language and then come back to me. Let's let's discuss it almost. That's cool. Yeah. Um wrapping up. Let's compare what life is like now that you are out and open compared to what life was like prior to how, how would you contrast the two different lifestyles?
1: Um, Weirdly similar. I am definitely more comfortable being my authentic self uh, in most circumstances. I think it's nice to be able to have uh, vulnerable conversations with people. One thing I've really noticed is since I came out and publicly was vulnerable, like very vulnerable. Posting my speech um, was quite quite exposing of me, I guess. And now people I think are willing to either approach me with problems or problems of friends and they want to be supportive. And whether like mm-hmm. whether this is because this friend is queer or they're queer, or they're struggling with their sexuality or anything like that, or mental health related, I've I'm a huge advocate for mental health. Um, since losing my brother, I think that's one thing, one major thing that's really changed for me is, is people finding comfort in knowing that you can kind of come out the other side, maybe not unscathed, but functional.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, With battle scars and your battle scars show your resilience, all that sort of stuff. So, um, overall, what have you learned about yourself since you started lacing up your skates as a Marion Sabre? Nothing comes
1: easy. Um, Appreciate the people around you, when they're around you. It's okay to be yourself, I guess. I know it sounds corny, but it's, you know, find your people, find someone you trust and find your people. And it's okay to it it sounds really maybe dark, but some friendships aren't meant to last forever. And, and that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. If you need a new environment, find that environment or create it and just know that, you know, you as you is, is perfect. Love that.
0: Tell me about what's next for you and what you're most excited about.
1: Oh, Lord. Um, big summer of camping and hopefully some hiking, some partying with friends and some golf and just kind of taking a break. Uh, I took, yeah, like these last couple of weeks right off of almost everything. I kind of just needed the mental break from school and I'm really looking forward to second year, actually, uh, starting at mm-hmm. the beginning of August. It's going to be a grind, but I, I have a really, really good group of friends uh, in Saskatoon, both med school and not. Um, so I'm very excited to get back to hanging out with them and and the grind and all that. And yeah, I don't know, lots of lots of fun here this summer with my boyfriend and my dog and yeah, and enjoying Calgary. Yeah.
0: Last question for you before we jump into some quick speed round questions: If you could go back in time and tell anything to yourself when you were struggling most with your sexuality, what would you tell Brock?
1: Oh boy, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the like classic, it's going to be okay. But but also, um, I think I would. I don't know that I would aim at the sexuality thing and just kind of point it or highlight to myself the people I have around me and the family I have. Yeah. To, tell tell him to appreciate them a little bit maybe a little bit more yeah. than he did and does mm-hmm. um get uh love that. get vulnerable with people and you yeah, get close
0: <laughs> yeah love that well you ended up doing that anyway so it's not even advice that you needed back then so yeah that's awesome yeah maybe yeah. a little quicker <laughs> Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Before we let you go, let's connect on some speed round questions here. So these questions are uh, like, some are related to your story. Some aren't. So let's start with the first one. Why number 48? Uh, I
1: was 24 in Portage and I had the best year, of probably my hockey career and I couldn't get 24. So I wanted 48.
0: So you doubled it. Like you're like, you're doubling the points, doubling, doubling the number. Exactly. Awesome. Um, why 24?
1: Uh, (laughs) I don't know that one. I grew up. I was like sure. number fourteen or number five. I just I never really had a number, and now I'm sticking with yeah. forty-eight. Favorite aisle in the grocery store. Oh, favorite or least favorite <laughs> or least. You
0: can tell me the least favorite too if you want.
1: Favorite like that I want to be in, but favorite that I shouldn't sure. be in. No, um, sure go for it. I actually am like a huge. I love fresh fruit. Um, okay, so fresh fruit, and then like. The meat aisle. Like, I have a smoker. I love my smoking my meat. Okay. Um, (laughs) But my favorite aisle is probably like the chips and candy, but I I should, I have to avoid it.
0: Yeah. You you walk past it and you see it and you're like, oh, it's stacked so nicely. Like, everything's so colorful. Oh, yeah, totally. A good or a bad habit that you picked up during COVID? Uh,
1: Snacking is a bad one. A good one that came at the end of COVID. I'll say is like my morning workout routine now. I used to train in the mornings and that was my thing, but it escaped yeah. me for quite a while and now it's back. So
0: awesome. Good for you. I am not a morning person to work out. I I can't get my body to work that early. I am like an eight p.m.er. Oh no. That's how I am. Here's a fun fact for you. I don't know if you saw this. This came up during my research, but out of the 2576 schools in the USA. Do you know where Marion ranks in overall quality according to a study done by College Factual? No, no idea. Where would you guess? 1 to 2,500. I don't know. 400. 702. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. What's your go-to throwback gem? Oh, levels. Beachy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Timeless. That's the song that's playing at every hockey rink you go into while during the shoot around, too. So that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the last TV show you binged and loved, Shits Creek. Oh, yeah. Would do it again. Best show of all time. Yeah, would do it again. Best show of all time. I watched the last season during COVID and I had to take a break between each episode because I was bawling. Yeah. And then the last episode, I cried so hard that I had to take a nap after.
1: It was like an emotional roller coaster. Like you get like the ugly <laughs> sobbing. You're just like, I just love this.
0: <laughs> and it's so it's there's nothing sad about it. It's just like the most the happiest. happiest. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, awesome. Good choice. Um, a tip that you've learned about money. I'm terrible
1: with money. I shouldn't be getting tips. <laughs> okay. Um. I learned it this year. I'm I'm gonna start at my reverse budgeting once I start making money.
0: What's reverse budgeting? <laughs>
1: like you your savings and your payments, and then you spend what is left.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Sure, sounds good. yeah. It sounds like you've been like shamed into doing this or something like that.
1: Um, not necessarily shamed. Just recognizing that I'm very I'm very <laughs> okay. poor with my
0: money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last question: What connects us? Oh, ironically, language. I think. Yeah. Tell me why. I know there's,
1: it's it's funny because there's no like direct translation for a lot of things, but I just think the ability to try and find connection through language, whether it's your own, another language, body language, I, I like, I kind of lump that into the same thing. And I think, I think that is one thing that for me connects us. Love that.
0: Brock, thank you so much for sharing your story. This is a story that, like I said, hockey, just a, connects us in a lot of different ways and we learn lessons through hockey whether it is through competition or just how we interact um and your story i think just rings true for so many different people whether they're in the queer community or whether they're not um thank you for just sharing your perspective i loved some of the nuggets that you said throughout like even just summing it up it sounds so small but it's truly meaningful. It's okay to be yourself, and I love that in your story. Just highlights that story of transformation, the risks you took, but at the same time, the payoff that you had with your team, your family. It's it's just such a great story for all of us to hear.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for sharing it, and for you know bringing more representation and in, and everything that you do. You bet.
0: Well, that's it for a chat with Brock and for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. If you've taken value from this episode, please do us a favor. Hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. It makes a big difference for us and helps us continue to tell these stories. Happy Pride Month and thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's connect then.